Well, today we continue with our series, Our House, and today is part two, Redeemed, Called, and Unified. That's the title of the message today, Redeemed, Called, and Unified. Of course, today is Pentecost Sunday, you know, Acts chapter 2 Sunday. It was on this day, you know, 2,000 years ago about when the Holy Spirit came upon that group of people that were gathered in the upper room, and the rest is history. And that was the day that the church was introduced to the world. Until then, there were a couple of, you know, very scary guys hiding away, you know, and not really exposed themselves to, to people. But on that day, the church came out, so to speak. And uh, they, they were seen. And from that day, the church began to expand and grow. And it continues until today. And today, our, our church is a result of that day. Every church, every Christian church around the globe is a result of Pentecost Sunday and of the repercussions of that singular act. Amen? Now, as you're talking about the church or our house, um, we are talking just not about our church like we said, but about the greater church, the body of Christ, and our church, Awaken Life Church, is part of that global church. And as I mentioned last week, every local congregation is a house. Every local congregation is a home for believers to gather there. And one of the pictures that the New Testament uses for the church is the picture of a house, the picture of a home. Just like every person should have an address, should have a home where they live. Every person should have that. I know that not everybody does, but every person should have a home, have an address. So every Christian, every follower of Christ should have a home church, a spiritual address as well. Our text today is from Ephesians chapter 4. Our church has just celebrated 35 years of existence. And you saw last week some of the photos of those early days. If you missed it, go back on our website and, and take a look. You see how good I looked back in those days. Anyway, in those early days of this church, I preached quite a lot about this particular chapter of Ephesians. And you know what? It is just as relevant today as it was 30, 35 years ago. So let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. This is Paul writing, and he says the following. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you. He doesn't suggest, he doesn't gently say, please consider the following. He says, guys, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Who is he writing to? He is writing to believers in Ephesus and in the cities around. This, this letter was circulated. He's talking to believers, not just to apostles, not just to church leaders. He's talking to all believers. In other words, he's talking to you and to me. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And that bearing, you know what it means? Putting up with one another. That's the meaning of that word in the Greek, literally. What does it tell you? <laughs> All right? Make every effort. 
You see, there is effort in the Christian life. Sometimes says, no, we know Christ has done everything. I've got to do nothing. There's something we have to do. There is effort. We don't work for salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's given. Christ has done all the work. But in being a disciple requires effort. At least to put up with one another. <laughs> okay? So make every effort to keep the what? The unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you're called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Whoa. If it says that he's in all, that means that God, his spirit, is in you. Is in me. And therefore, if I approach you, I better do it with some respect. Because Almighty God lives in you, brother. Huh? I can't just disregard you. I can't just treat you any old way. I can't look down on you. And you can't look down on me either, even though you're taller than me. Because we have treasure inside of us. And so even if sometimes we kind of rub each other the wrong way around, which we will because we're all different. We have to what? Bear with one another, put up with another, and strive for unity, for peace. And then in the verses that follow, verses 7 and so on, uh, Paul tells us about the different gifts for service. He says that we're all being gifted for service. And then he talks about the fivefold ministry, you know, the, the, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, which are leaders which God gave to the church. And then he gives us the reason why these leaders and ministries were given. Let's read from verses 13, 11 to 13 from Ephesians 4. It says, so Christ himself... He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Why? To equip the people for works of service. <laughs> and you thought God gave those five ministries so that they can do all the work and you can just sit back and watch and criticize. <laughs> no. They are given to teach, to equip, so that all of us together. All right, can do works of service so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And this verse is actually our life goal, our life aim, to keep on growing and becoming more and more like Jesus. It is not a one-week process, not even a two-year process. If you're still breathing, you're still in the process. Because it's a lifelong process and will only really be completed when you see him face to face. Amen. And so the message today is redeemed, called, and unified. Redeemed. As believers, we are redeemed by the work of Christ. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ... You are redeemed. You've accepted the work which he's done. You did nothing. He did everything. You simply received it. Out of your own will, you said, yes, Lord, I believe in the work you've done for me. I gladly accept it. And because of your choice for Jesus, you become 
redeemed. Then it says we are called. Well, verse 1 states that we are called. We have all received a calling. I made a point just now. We have all received a calling. We're all called. And that calling is what? It called to be children of God. And as children of God, that calling also includes what? Serving God. Amen? Which it, it, and of course, to serve God, you will serve others as well. Because God's desire is that we serve God and others. Love God and your neighbor as yourself. And so as children of God, we are called to serve God and serve others with the gifts that God has given us, whatever gifts you have. We are called. In my message last week, I said the following, although the Lord does not call everyone to full-time ministry, every believer is called to minister full-time. And I could see some question marks. Well, this is it over here. Ephesians explains it. That's what he's talking about here. God has called some to be leaders in the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Most of these five-fold ministries, most of them, not all of them, but most of them are employed full-time by the church. All right? The church they serve in. But it is not them that do all the work. Verse 12 says that they are given to equip, to train, to teach the believers so that the believers, that is all of us together, may do the works of service, may serve God, may do the work of preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, reaching out to people, serving others with the gifts we've got so that the body, the church, may be built up. In other words, the church will become stronger and larger. And that means that every believer is in full-time ministry wherever you are. No matter what your job is, what your profession is, you are actually an agent of God in that office, in that job, in that street, in that office, wherever you are, in that school, with your friends, in that gym. You are an agent of God over there. And as opportunity arises, as you become aware of, of God's guidance in your life, you will have opportunities to talk to somebody about Jesus, to pray for somebody, to encourage somebody. You don't all have to become preachers in your work. You don't have to go buy, get the biggest Bible and go to the office with a big Bible, you know, and, and say, repent, you know, dry of dry. You don't have to do that. Just be yourself. Live out. Shine your light wherever you are. And watch as God Creates situations where you can share the word of God, where you can pray for somebody, where you can bring some guidance, where you can point somebody to Jesus, where you can maybe remove some obstacles. Very often, if people are not coming to Jesus, it's because they've got obstacles in their lives. Maybe bad past experiences, maybe a bad experience with the church, with another believer, or confusion about who Jesus is, and so on. And maybe in a conversation over lunch, over a cup of coffee, you may remove one or two of those hindrances and bring that person one step closer to Jesus. We don't all have to go out there and close the deal and say this prayer after me. No, 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 no. Just allow the Lord to use you in that moment. And we are all called to do that. And that's why every believer 
is called to minister full time. Amen. And that's what this chapter is about. In Ephesians chapters 1 to 3, Paul discusses God's eternal purpose to redeem humanity. He talks about the church's position under Christ's leadership and our calling as God's children. But in chapter 4, Paul shifts the focus to how believers should live in response to all that he has shared before. In response to all that Christ has done. In response to what God has, has done from the beginning of time. Before creation. Now in chapter 4 he says in response to all that. This is how you should live. This is how you should respond to God's work. And part of that response is that we are all called to serve and live in such a way. That it shows that we are children of God. Different from the way of thinking and of living of the world. Amen? So we are called to be God's children and to do the works of service for the church. So that the church may become stronger and grow. So we are redeemed and we are called. But here is the third part of the message. Unified. 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 Now that means to, to come or bring together as one. Cause to become one. Make into a unit. Consolidate. Merge. Combine. That's what unified means. <clears throat> now, unity or unification. Unity is not uniformity. Did you hear that? Unity is not uniformity. We don't all have to look the same, dress the same, speak the same, do the same and I know that in the past, historically, there have been some churches which have done exactly that. They tell the people what to wear, how to speak, what to do, who to marry, and da 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 No, 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 wait. We are not supposed to be uniform. The verses before, uh, he has just told us that God has given us different gifts. We are different. We enjoy different things, like different kinds of foods. <laughs> we are different. We are diverse. But in our diversity, we are supposed to be united. Supposed to be one team. One family. Amen? It says in John 17, 11, where, where, that when, when Jesus prayed, he was praying that, you know, uh, apostolic prayer, or, or, when he was praying that in, uh, alone, he said, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me. Why? So that they may be one as we are one. God the Father, God the Son. Two distinct persons, but one in mind, in spirit, in goal, in purpose. And that's what Jesus prayed for us. And unfortunately, unfortunately, we still have too much division in the church around the world today. And so I want to point out verses 3 and 13 to you. And I'll put them together. Let's read verses 3 and 13 together. Watch this. Verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let's live, endeavor to live in peace with each other in the bond of the Spirit. Understanding that the Holy Spirit is in us. That we believe in Jesus Christ, 
Let's make every effort to keep that unity. Until, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith. You see, there is still differences in the faith. In the way we understand scripture. In the way we interpret certain parts of the Bible. Until we all reach unity in the faith. Until we come into agreement and all agree on the same things. This is how you worship. This is how you baptize. This is how you, you, you do this. This is how you do that. Okay. Until we come to that day, let's live in peace and maintain the unity, the bond of the Spirit. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Let's be more concerned with becoming mature than becoming correct. Let's be, be, more, let's be more concerned about growing in Christ and becoming mature than winning arguments. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Over the past few decades, churches and denominations have shown signs of moving together. I remember in my youth that there were churches, pastors, denominations, they wouldn't talk to each other. And if you were caught as member of church denomination A and you visited denomination B, when you came back to denomination A, you have to give an account of yourself. What the heck were you doing over there? Yeah? And so over the last few decades, there have been some moving closer, but there is still significant division in the church. Differences in doctrine and worship practices persist, hindering complete unity. However, these verses that we've just read, they, they, they provide guidance on how we can strive for unity. This passage encourages us to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace while acknowledging that full unity in the faith will probably only be achieved when we see Jesus face to face. Then the two of us can, can come before Jesus. Lord Jesus, you know, he says this and I say that. Now what do you say? And he's going to sort out us out very quickly. And you're probably going to find that both of us were wrong anyway. At least maybe in attitude. I may have had my theology right, but my attitude stinks. <laughs> so let's understand that. Okay, and strive for what the word of God says. Until then, individuals and groups may interpret certain portions of the scripture differently. Nevertheless, as long as we agree on the fundamental principles of the gospel, you know, such as the death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, the fact that he's alive, he's Lord, he's Savior, that he's going to return and establish his kingdom. We, we agree on that essential stuff, man. We can have unity and we can have peace because we're brothers and sisters, man. <laughs> Let's look at verses 1 to 6 again. We are urged to walk worthy of our calling. And this passage emphasizes the, the characteristics of a worthy walk, including humility, gentleness, patience, and love. It reminds us that it is God who calls us. Therefore, our lives should reflect his sovereignty over my life. If he called me, <laughs> who is boss? Amen? And so our lives should reflect that. In, in our prayer time before the service, somebody has mentioned that, you know, God 
He's unchanging. He never changes. So if I come before God and I've got a problem, who's the one who has to change? I have to change. And therefore, you see, to, to live worthy of our calling is a life that understands that God is boss and I am not. And if anybody needs to change, it is me, not him. And so, surrender. Let him change us. So that we become more like what he wants us to be. Amen? We are to live out our individual calling in the context of a community of called people. That passage makes it very clear that none of us was called to do Christian life on their own. But to do it in the context of a community of other called people. Because we are all called. As believers, God called us. Not to go and be on your corner on your own, but to gather with others. We are designed to exist in fellowship with other believers and actively pursue unity within this community. Now, sadly, the church often experiences division and a tendency for individuals to pursue a faith independent of Christian community. I don't need you guys. I love Jesus. It's me and Jesus. I don't need this bunch of hypocrites and this bunch of difficult people. I don't need the church. You hear that a lot. And unfortunately these days with social media and everybody has a voice and it seems that the louder, you know, those with more problems shout the loudest. And, and, and this is this idea going out. You can follow Christ without belonging to a church. What a lie of the devil. Hmm? A recent poll in the USA revealed that a significant number of Protestant churchgoers, okay, evangelicals, these guys are all, you know, fanatic about church, okay, Protestant churchgoers, approximately 65% of Protestant churchgoers in the United States believe they can walk with God without the support of fellow believers, It was a lifeway research. So to counteract these alarming trends, believers must strive to live lives that honor God through what? That little word, obedience. Because that's the only way to follow God is to be obedient to God, right? We can't do it on our terms. We've got to do it on his terms. And so to counteract this, this tendency of people separating themselves from the church, we have to be obedient. Additionally, they must actively cultivate humility, patience, love, and grace when interacting with other members of the body of Christ. Because the Christian community has the potential to provide a glimpse of God's kingdom in the present. And that's why the devil attacks it so much. That's why the devil tries to distract people and get them to break away from fellowship. Because he knows if we come together, man... Ah, we can demonstrate a little bit of the kingdom of God in the present, in this troubled earth. And he doesn't want that. Unfortunately, the church can also deteriorate into a place that resembles hell more than heaven. And unfortunately, we've seen that as well. It's been in the news. Mm. So, for true unity to thrive, the church must be must become a haven, must be a haven where grace abounds. It should be a safe space where people can bring their struggles and sorrows without fear of judgment. The church must serve as an escape 
from the cultural trappings of political tribalism and, and sexism, racism, bigotry. And right now, the world is filled with this. And it's becoming more and more so. And it's coming to South Africa too, by the way. It's not just overseas. Very soon, we're going to be finding ourselves in the same boat, having to be very careful what you say there at work, in the office, at school, and in the church because of the pressures of the world. But the church needs to remain a safe haven where we can come without fear of these things. We, we understand, you know, you're my brother, you're my sister. Okay? Doesn't matter where you come from. And in our church, you know, for the whole 35 years, we've always been a multicultural, multinational kind of church. And I think part of it's because we are striving to understand that. That we don't judge you by the way you look or the country you came from or by your culture, your tradition. There's no judgment. We all are here because we all need a savior. We all need help, man. None of us are perfect. So welcome to the club. Let's do this together. And let's grow in the Lord together. Huh? And so only by fostering an atmosphere of grace and acceptance can the church fulfill its purpose as a beacon of unity and love in a divided and fractured world. Now, sometimes, let's face the truth here, sometimes it seems easier to follow Christ alone. <laughs> okay? It seems easier. Seems easier. While it may seem easier to live out our calling to follow and love God and serve others alone, it doesn't make it the right approach. Deep down, we all long for a sense of belonging and purpose that can only be found in a community which is centered in Christ. In today's digital age, many individuals seek spiritual guidance through platforms like Instagram and, and social media. However, instead of helping people engage with their most innermost pressing questions, these screens often serve as distractions. So you see the church, as imperfect as it is, has an essential role to play to provide a space where we can wrestle with our deepest inquiries and discover hope even when there are no easy answers. And sometimes we will sit together, we will talk, we will pray, and we cannot find an easy answer. But at least we are struggling together in the presence of God and we will have his guidance. Amen? Sometimes we fall into the trap of viewing the church solely as a physical building. That's, that's my church, <laughs> my building, all right? Uh -uh. Our faith, our faith journeys are not defined by the structures in which we gather. Amen? Not at all. They are shaped by the people who make up the church. So Awaken Life Church is not this building. Awaken Life Church is you. You who gather in person, you who gather online and who share your views, who share the vision with us, you are Awaken Life Church. If you belong to another local church, you are part of that. You people make up the church. And that's why we are called, all of us, to live this way. Because if we're going to have this safe place where we can be ourselves, all of us have to be part of it. All of us have to take on that attitude of, you know what? I'm going to love you. 
I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to accept you. And let's journey together with Christ. Amen? In a society that is increasingly detached from its Christian roots, we cannot expect traditional notions of the church to fulfill every need, especially considering (laughs) the significant and growing skepticism and negative experiences associated with organized religion. Instead, you must understand that church community can be formed whenever believers come together. The key is simply being present with one another and being there for one another. With two or three are gathered together, there I am, said Jesus. So ultimately, our hunger for belonging and purpose can only be truly satisfied within the embrace of a Christ-centered community. By recognizing the importance of authentic relationships and, listen, prioritizing the gathering of believers. We can experience the transformative power of the church in our lives. I'm going to say that again. We need to recognize the importance of authentic relationships. And we need to prioritize the gathering of believers. Hebrews 10, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. And of course, there are many genuine reasons why some people can't be here, why some people can't get gathered together. But in many other cases, it is simply distractions and simply a lack of prioritizing the gathering together. We find all sorts of things to do on a Sunday morning. And if there's nothing to do, ah, let's go to church. Uh-uh. By doing this, by prioritizing our gathering, by recognizing the importance of relationships, we can experience the transformative power of the church in our lives. We need the church. I know, I felt like running away sometimes too. (laughs) But it's by staying that you experience the change, the power, the love, the work of God. Author Eugene Peterson, the guy that wrote the Message Bible, he wrote the following. Maturity develops in worship as we develop in friendship with the friends of God, not just our preferred friends, okay? Worship shapes us, not only individually, but as a community, as a church. I I could sit at home and and, and sing songs all by, by myself, and I will be touched, I will be blessed. But sitting here this morning, singing with you, worshiping with you, does something different to me. That cannot happen when I do it on my own at home. If we are going to grow up into Christ, he says, we have to do it in the company of everyone who is responding to the call of God. Whether we happen to like them or not has nothing to do with it. (laughs) Amen? Some people want to go to a church where They like everybody and everybody likes them. It doesn't exist. As much as I love you and as much as you love me, believe me, I'm not going to plan on doing it, but someday, somehow, sometime, I'm going to do something, say something that's going to take you off. And you're not going to like me that day. Did I plan to do it? No. But because I'm not perfect, (laughs) I do it. 
And because you are not perfect, sometimes you're going to do things that are going to tick me off, man. But it's by sticking together and continuing keeping your eyes on Jesus, not one another. We all keep our eyes on Jesus and fellowship together and worship together. That's when we can experience the change. Hallelujah. You know, you know, in our, in our children, sometimes they've got difficult classmates, you know, in school. You know, and, and, and what do we do? We kind of tell them, listen, but those guys are, are, are character builders, okay? They're rubbing you the wrong way. It's a good time now to learn to build character, learn long-suffering, learn forgiveness, learn perhaps to stand on your own and, and to be assertive. You know, there are different things. Now, I'm not talking about abuse now, okay? That's a different story. But I'm talking about difficult characters. We call them those, those character builders. Well, in the church, the church is filled with character builders as well. People who are going to rub you the wrong way around. Little sandpaper people, you know. And every one of us has, has been, and, and those people, we can call them like sanctifying forces in our life. We can only lear, learn long suffering by suffering a long time. We can only learn patience by being patient. In other words, do nothing. To be patient means to do nothing. You just wait. Lekker, <laughs> ne? And every one of us, we've either been, we have either have been that sanctifying force in somebody's life, or we have been exposed to somebody who's been that sanctifying force in our lives. It's part of it. Note, however, okay, it's crucial in, in the church context, school context, anyway, it's always crucial to, to re- recognize that abuse is different from being a sandpaper, okay? Abuse must never be minimized nor tolerated. But while we are handling church relationships, we should approach them humbly and seek to understand fellow believers. Why are they doing what they are doing? Amen? Now listen, I said we are family, but families, inside families, they don't always agree on everything, do they? And and just because believers don't agree on everything does not mean that you're not still a family. We can be in the same church and have two different points of view. Doesn't make us, doesn't break down our family structure. I can have a brother in another church and we've got different points of view. Doesn't mean we are not family in Christ. Doesn't mean I can't keep the bond of peace and the unity of the spirit. Huh? Awaken Life Church was built on the principle that church is family. Why? Because God is first a father. And so the church, every church, every congregation, is first a family, or at least it should be. I know not all are, but that's what we endeavor to do. Even though not everyone who has been part of the church, all right, could always practice this principle, it must still be preached, and we must still endeavor to live it out. I have tried to stay connected with those who have left our church, whether due to relocation or or personal reasons. And many of them have expressed that their time here was among the best years of their lives. And personally, I too have fond recollections of the past years. And I cherish the memories that I've got of over the last 35 years. But listen, we cannot dwell in the past. Amen? Yes, the world has changed. Yes, our lives have changed. We are not who you were five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago. 30 years ago, some of you are not even here. 
This is our world now. This is our reality now. And as a church, guess what? We are 35 years closer to the return of Jesus. Yay! <laughs> but we have opportunities today that we did not have 35 years ago. So today, we face a significant challenge, and here it is. What actions will we, the present community, you listening, you watching online, you sitting over here, what will we, we are the present community, we are the present church, we are Awaken Life Church now. Maybe some of you watching, you're watching us, but you belong to another church. How are you now at your church, where you are, in your reality, in the country where you're watching this from? How will you respond to your divine calling? How will we respond to our divine calling here? Huh? What did I say? Redeemed. We have been saved and redeemed. That is an accomplished fact. Done. Tick. Called. <laughs> well, we have all received the call. It's a done deal. Whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we accept it or not, the calling is there. God has called us. Done deal. Redeemed. Called. Unified. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Are we truly unified in purpose and action? Well, positionally, we are, for we belong to one family. However, the tangible expression of that unity, the part where we actively live it out, that rests entirely in our hands. It's in your hands. It's in my hands. What are we going to do about the unity? What are we going to do about our calling? What are we going to do about truly obeying God? We have the power. Listen, people. Listen, listen, listen. We have the power to choose whether we will lead self-centered and comfortable lives. It's your choice. If you want to do it, you can. Because God made you a free moral agent. And so... We have the power to choose whether we will lead self-centered and comfortable lives or if we will dare to embrace a communal existence for the sake of Jesus. Whether we will embrace putting up with these difficult people. Whether we will decide to live out our callings and our giftings. Exercise them. Serve others. Serve the local body. Serve God. By allowing him to work within us and through us as the church. We have the potential to bring hope, to bring salvation, and to bring healing to countless individuals in the years ahead. The decision is ours to make. And it holds the key to transforming lives and impacting the world. This is what God lays before us today. What will your choice be? Let's stand up. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
redeemed, called, unified. Lord, we hear your word today. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. But Lord, let us not be simply hearers of the word, but doers of the word. I pray for everyone, Lord, that has heard this message today. Those here present, those online, those listening to this message. And my Father, I know that in the world we live in, the temptation is just to to say, leave me alone. I, I just want to be alone. I don't need church. I don't need people. I don't need responsibilities. And yet, Lord, you have called us. You have given us your grace. You have called us to be your children, participants in your family, Lord. Not just bystanders, not just observers of your family, but participants in your family, Lord. Co-workers with Christ. And so, Lord, won't you please stir up our hearts and our spirits today. Cause us to reflect, Lord, on what you've done for us, in us already. And allow us, help us to allow you to work now through us, Lord. To touch those around us who need Jesus, who need hope, who need clarity, who need direction. Lord, help us, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord. To see things like you do. For the glory of your name. Amen. And so now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, a blessed week. See you next week. Amen.